This morning, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and, abided, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be made in that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Thank you, Brian. How are we, church? Are we good? Yeah. There you go. So Christmas is next week. You ready? I hope so. No? Todd, you gotta do some work, huh? Yeah. Hey, uh, we've been walking through this series, uh, God With Us, and the reason we're doing that is to talk about how the message of Christmas can change our lives. And so we've kind of dug our our roots in deep into John chapter 15, uh, where Jesus is describing this metaphor for Christian growth, that the picture for Christian growth is that we are the branches and He is the vine. And that life in Christian life is not about, and this is important, taking up a bunch of rules. I know we got ten big ones, right? We got the Ten Commandments, but the Christian life doesn't begin with obedience to Ten Commandments. It doesn't begin by changing your life. Some people think, hey, before I come to Jesus, I guess I need to kind of get stuff in order. I can't come to church maybe this week because I had a bad week, and uh, you know, I, I just can't come in. But that's not what Christianity is about. It's not about taking up rules. It's not taking up a philosophy or a new religion. Rather, what Christianity is, is God taking us up. It's God coming in us and making us new. And so growth in the Christian life is the same way that Christianity begins. Our salvation begins with God coming in and making us new. Well, the way we grow in the Christian life is by, as Jesus said, abiding in Him. Now imagine this, imagine you saw someone, and they're out in their backyard, and they got these apple trees, pear trees, peach trees, but they're just not uh, producing the kind of fruit that they want. And so they decide to go mechanical with it. Instead of doing organic growth, they're going to go over to King Supers, they're going to buy the organic produce, take those oranges, not oranges, what did I say, apples, pears, and start tying those pears to the pear tree. Now, from a distance, right, that tree is going to look pretty good. Maybe look a little too good. But in a week, all you're going to have is rotten fruit. And see, sometimes what we try to do in the Christian life is change our behavior. 
And we think, okay, God, for God to love, God can't love me, right? I got to do the marriage thing right. I got to do the money thing right. I'm not doing it right. And so God can't love me right now. Have you been there? Or maybe God is against me or maybe the things that are happening in my life are a sign that God is, is punishing me. He's trying to hurt me. But see, the Christian life doesn't work that way. It's not simply about obedience. Now, if it was about obedience, then Jesus would have just been a teacher. But because it's about abiding in God, Jesus came as a Savior. He came to rescue us. And the way we grow is by trusting more in what Jesus has done. Now, now that, hey, hi, I heard somebody say hi. Now that we're in Colorado, and I imagine you have this too, uh, how many of you have the, the real tree? We do the real tree here? You guys do the real tree? Right. Yeah, we went over the caps, and thank you guys for letting us do that. And we cut down two real trees, brought them in our house, you know, tied them on the van, kind of a Griswold family Christmas. Put them on the van, uh, got them in the house. Now they're sitting in water. And, and I'll tell you, they look brilliant. We put lights on them. Uh, I think this week we're going to start putting some ornaments up. They look good. But the reality is, no matter how many ornaments we put on, no matter how many lights we have in a week or at the end of the month, they're going to be in the curb. Because though the tree looks alive, the reality is it's dying. And no, no matter how many lights or ornaments you place on that tree, the reality is that it's dying and it will be dead. Well, the same thing happens in the Christian life. Just changing your behavior on the outside, but not addressing the desires of the heart and the inside is look like putting ornaments on a dead tree. It may look alive, but the reality is it's dead inside. And so what Jesus is describing is how can we allow the life of God to work in us and then to flow through us. And so last week we looked at two behaviors we need to pick up because there is something we need to do. That as God abides in us, the way we respond to His abiding in us is first of all by abiding in His Word. And so he said that down in verse 7. He said, abide in my words or remain in my words. And then second in verse 9, as we abide in the Word of God, we also have to learn as we read the Word of God to see in it the love of God. And so if you look down in verse 9 in, in John 15, he says, as my Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And therefore, we should abide in His love. That as you get into the Word of God, often I think sometimes what we do is we look for the instructions. Okay, God, what do I need to do? But you know the Bible is not basic instructions before leaving earth. Have you heard that? Terrible. It's not instructions. What the Bible is is a story of what God has done to rescue us. And see, only when the story is true do the commandments matter. If the story of Jesus coming and dying for us and rising again and giving us new life, if that story isn't true, the commandments don't matter. Because what the Bible is about is not you. I hate to tell you, it's not about you. It's about God and what He's done. And the more we're amazed at God and what He's done for us, the more we find that there is love in our heart for God and a willingness to love others. Because we see how much God has loved us. And so as we get into the Word of God and abide in His Word, we have to see in His Word His love. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at how that love and how His Word produces fruit in our lives. And again, it doesn't do it simply through our willpower. Rather, what we're going to describe and, and discover 
is that the change that happens in our life happens because of the power of the Holy Spirit using the Word of God and using the love of God to produce, you ready, the fruit of God in our life. That the Holy Spirit has to use the Word of God, the love of God to produce the fruit of God in our lives. Because the fruit is called the fruit of Jason. No. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You're not the producer. If it's the fruit of the Spirit, then allow the Spirit of God to produce in you the kind of change He wants to produce. You with me? And so as we jump into this today, we're looking at how does God use His Word, how does He use His love to change us through the power of the Spirit? You know, last week we ended with a prayer. And I don't know if you grabbed this on the way in. Hopefully you kept one from last week. Did you grab one of these little Advent cards as you come in? They're right on the table. And on that Advent card, this bookmark, there's a prayer. And see, last week we ended with the idea that there's nothing in Christ, there's nothing I can do that would make you love me more and nothing I have done that would make you love me less. See, that's the good news of the gospel. It's not your doing that causes God to love you. It's your being. And your being is a child of God. Isn't that how we treat our kids, I hope? If we loved our kids based on what they did, I have a lot of orphans in here, right? (laughs) We love our children based on who they are. Well, God is our Father. He loves us a lot better than we love our kids. And He's constantly reminding you, I love you not because of what you did. I love you because of what my Son has done. And because of that, you are now the children of God. And so we have to learn to be in Christ and not just simply do in Christ. Now today we're going to pick up the second aspect of this prayer which says, your presence and your approval are all I need for everlasting joy. Your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. So let me ask, is God pleased with you? Is God pleased with you? And to answer that question just in that moment, where did you go? I know where I would have gone. I would have gone to how my week went, right? Maybe how last night went, or this morning, right? Driving in, arguing in the car. Is God pleased with you? Does He approve of you? Often we look to our behavior. As we're going to discover, when we look to our behavior, it reveals that we don't really trust the love of God to the person of Jesus Christ. Because what God wants us to look to when it comes to God's pleasure is not what we do. God's pleased with us based on what Jesus has done. And see, that's what he's going to get into again as we look in John chapter 15. He says, if you look again in verse 1, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser, the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, but every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So abide in me and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit by itself... Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches, so whoever abides in me and I in him, it's he that bears much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, by nothing, he's not saying that non-Christians don't do good things, but they can't produce the kind of fruit that God wants to produce in your life. 
If we're not abiding in Jesus, abiding in God, which means being in intimacy with God through His Word and through His love, through the Gospel, it's not going to produce in our life what God wants to produce. You know, one of my favorite passages is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And it simply says, I have been crucified with Christ. So when Jesus died, I died. Now, by I myself dying, it's saying my record died. My sin died. My standing before God, before I met Jesus, was based on what I did. My standing before I met Jesus was based on what I did, and my, what I did wasn't that great. What I presented to God was a life of rebellion, of lust, of broken relationships, and more than anything, of living for myself and not for Him. That's what I had to present to God. But when He says, I've been crucified, what He's saying, Jason, stop evaluating yourself based on what you've done. Realized, I've wiped it clean. You've been crucified with Christ. And therefore, he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body today, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, how are we supposed to live? We live by faith. And what does faith look at? Faith does not look at what we do. Faith says he loved me, and he gave himself for me. You know what's going to change you? Is by looking at how much he's loved you and gave himself for you. You can spend a lifetime looking at your sin. And all you're going to do is beat yourself up. But if you look at Christ and what he's done, how much he has loved you and given himself for you, there is going to be a gratitude in your heart for God that's going to result in a fruit that only God can produce in our lives. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. Hey, let's just imagine for a moment, you know, when you go to work this week, how would your relationships change if your focus wasn't on yourself or what you need to do, but your focus was on how much Christ loved you and gave himself for you? I mean, think about the relationships that you're struggling with right now. Maybe the ones that you have conflicts with. Somebody you're angry at because of their behavior, or maybe you disagree with them, or maybe you just don't like them. They're just not your kind of people. Well, what if instead of approaching them based on what you want and need, what if you engage that relationship based on what Jesus has done for you? Because see, the Bible says we were at enmity with God, meaning I hated God. Now, some of you may say, well, I don't hate God. Well, no, that's what disobedience is. It means hatred towards God. It says, God, I'm right. I know what's better for my life. That's why I'm going to choose to go this way, even when you say go this way, because I know better. Even though you can see all life, even though you created me, even though you know me and knit me in my mother's womb, I know better than you, God. We are at enmity with God. And the reality is we were dead wrong. But what changed us? What changed us was the death of Jesus. It wasn't him standing us, showing us the rules. It wasn't him showing us all the things we did wrong. What it was was an act of love and grace and self-sacrifice that opened our eyes. And you know what? We realized, I've been in rebellion against the God who loved me. If that was captivating your heart, it would change the way you treat people around you. Because you wouldn't be focused on what they've done. You'd be focused and captivated by what Jesus has done. And that would produce the forgiveness and love that comes from God.
but we've got to abide in what He's done. If we allow the love of Christ to just rest in us, even for a few minutes each day, it would change the way we approach others. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, you want to turn there on your handout, you'll find it. Uh, Paul takes this image of the vine and the branch in John 15, and he expands upon it. And what he does in, in Galatians 5 is he doesn't describe just one plant, but he describes two plants. One, which root is rooted in the Spirit of God, the other plant is rooted in the flesh. And he's going to say there's two plants, and out of these two plants will flow two types of fruit. So listen to how Paul describes this in Galatians 5, verse 16. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For listen, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now, the works of the flesh, they're obvious, they're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Two roots, one in the Spirit, the other in me, meaning my desires. That's what the flesh is. Flesh doesn't refer to the external flesh. Flesh in the New Testament means affections and desires. And so he's saying in moments in life, we can be rooted as Christians in one of two places. You can be rooted in the love of God through Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit, or you're rooted in the flesh. Now, how do you know? How do you know what your roots in that moment are grounded in? You know based on the fruit. Now, when you look at that list of fruit, the deeds, the acts of the flesh, some of us look at that list and we think, see things like you know, sorcery, idolatry, witchcraft, and we kind of take our name out of the, the running right there because I'm not involved in that stuff. And then you look at the last one, orgies, drunkenness. Okay, that's not me. And so we think in some ways maybe this list is talking about those people, right? The really bad people out there. But I love what Paul does. He kind of sets us up. He puts these sins in the beginning like sorcery and witchcraft. At the end, I, um, orgies and drunkenness. But right in the middle, what does he say? Fits of anger. Anybody? Got some fits of anger you want to testify to today? I got some. Envy. Jealousy. Dividing. Dissension, meaning this kind of negative, dividing attitude. You got some of that in the house at times? Desire for my own will. What's he describing? He's saying when your heart, your affections are rooted in what you want, this is the fruit that's going to produce in your life. What we like to do is compare fruit, right? Orgies and drunkenness, you know, those are the messed up people. But we say nothing about the anger that's controlling our heart. And what Paul's saying is the guy that's 
fallen into sorcery is no different than the guy falling into anger because their heart is rooted in the flesh. And the fruit that's coming out, we may say, hey, this is worse and this is better, but the reality is the heart is captivated by something other than God. That's what's offensive to God. We want to compare the behaviors. These are the good people. These are the bad people. God is saying, no, it's not about the behavior that I'm looking at. What is your heart captivated by? Is it captivated by me? Well, how do you know if it's captivated by Jesus and the gospel? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And notice he says the fruit of the Spirit Meaning, when you're rooted in Christ, this is what starts to grow in your life at the same time. And so some of you are naturally joyful. That's not from the Spirit. That's your DNA. Some of you are naturally generous. That's not from the Spirit. That's your DNA. Some of you are naturally loving. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's when all the fruit begins to grow in your life at the same time. It starts to produce and push out the old things, but rather you're, now you're rooted in Christ, and so you're starting to develop the things that look like Jesus. And so what makes the church attractive is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And when we are rooted in what Christ has done... That's what begins to produce the fruit of God in our life. But church, we have to be captivated by Jesus and the gospel. Because what was Jesus' number one command? Only got one, right? It's kind of nice. Cliff notes. Those of you that never read a book in college, you know, Jesus knew that we would, uh, we would need cliff notes. And so what's the greatest command? But to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, meaning this is the first and the greatest commandment, that if you just had that, you would have enough. Because see, listen, church, what produces love for God is love from God. The only thing that can produce love for God is love from God, that we love because He first loved us. And so the secret to the Christian life is the more we understand and dive into the love from God, the more we will experience love for God. Because you cannot generate love for God on your own. You are not a creator of love. God is the creator. Church, we are to be containers of His love. Because what did Jesus said? I loved out of the love the Father gave me. Meaning, I didn't create love out of my own love. It wasn't Jesus just loving us out of the love that He generated. No, He had an example. He had an experience of love from the Father. And He says to us, church, I loved you out of the love the Father gave me. Meaning, love from God produced love in Jesus. And so how are we to love? We love from the love that comes from Jesus that then produces love in us, that we can't generate love on our own. Rather, we've got to experience the love from God. And so see, how does our life then begin to change? And I love what Paul says. Notice this in Galatians 5.16. He says, so live by the Spirit and you will not. You notice that? If you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He doesn't say, live by the Spirit and just say no. Right, that? You remember that, the 80s? 
Just say no. That's all you got to do. It's so easy, right? Church, come on, just say no. If you guys just said no more, your life would be better. That's not the way he goes. You know, one of the challenges I think we face is we live in a just say no world. If you want to stop something, just stop it. You know, get, get the right habits. That some of the best books out there that sell the fastest are like five techniques on changing your life. If you just had the right information, that's all I'm missing, right? It's not my heart. That's the problem, right? It's not my desires. It's not what I want. Let's not, not start there because what I want is good. Now, what these books will say is if you just have this information, these five techniques, then you can change your life. That's just say no living. Just say no to this, say yes to this. That doesn't work in Christianity. Just say no Christianity doesn't work. You remember WWJD? Right. What would Jason do? (laughs) Right. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus didn't come to be an example. I came into the world to save the world. If all we needed was extra teaching, he would have just been a teacher. If all we needed was a great example, he would have just been an example. Because he's a savior, he's saying, you cannot do what I'm asking you to do. And that's what he says in verse 5 of of chapter 15 in John. Apart from me, you cannot produce what I'm looking for. Meaning, you've got to abide in me. You've got to make your home in me. If you want to stop the things that are going on in your life, want to have a better marriage, better parent, better with finances, time, all that stuff, it begins by experiencing the love of God more. When you get in the New Testament, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, if I can find it. Ephesians 2, Paul will say, what will he say? Well, I'm going to have to quote it. He says, he prays for the Ephesians, the Christians in Ephesus, and he says that we would know, he prays that we would know how deep and how wide and long and high is the love of Christ for us, and that we would know this love that, listen, surpasses understanding. There is a love that means goes beyond information to experience. Love is not simply about knowledge. It's not about gnosis, which means knowledge. It's it's about an experience. That Jesus Christ came into the world, not simply that we might understand what love is, but we might experience the love of God. And see, that's what the gospel, that's what the New Testament calls salvation. It's encountering the love of God. And you know what happens when you encounter the love of God? For the first time, you can be honest about yourself. Because when you know you're completely loved, a love to the degree that Jesus would die for you, for the first time in your life you can be honest because you know that love isn't contingent on what you do or what you've done. It's contingent on what Jesus has done. Meaning that in Jesus you are fully loved, you are fully accepted, and the Father delights in you. That's the scandalous good news of the gospel. And see, it's in the love of God that we start getting serious about the sin that's in my life. Because see, only now can I know that God is good and that He's not going to punish me, but anything He brings into my life is pruning to bear more fruit. That the way we grow, church, is not simply by trying harder. The way we grow is by trusting the gospel more. 
The way we grow is not simply by trying harder or doing more. No, see, the way you grow in the Christian life is counterintuitive. It's by trusting in the gospel more. So why are we struggling to forgive? There are a lot of verses in the New Testament on forgiveness. All right, you with me? Anybody need to forgive someone? Christmas is coming. Family's going to come into town. Any issues from the past? Bitterness, anger, rage? Does that describe any experience you've had? Why do we struggle to forgive? You know, it should be easy, right? But see, Scripture says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Meaning forgiveness isn't something you can produce. It's not something you generate on your own. The only way you can forgive others is by first experiencing the forgiveness that comes from God. And you may say, well, hey, I did that. I accepted Jesus into my life. No. What he's saying is every day we've got to remember what Christ has done to forgive us. And the more we start to recognize what Jesus has done, the extent to which he was willing to die and to love me, to that extent, I'm going to have the power now to forgive others. Not because I'm generating forgiveness, but rather I've got a well of forgiveness that, listen, church, will never run dry. And there's nothing you can do to me that could compare to what I've done to him. And every time I look at the vast chasm of my sin compared to his love, I can then turn to you and look at your offense and say, you know what? I I can forgive that. I can forgive that because look at the forgiveness that God has given me. You know what that is? That's faith. That growth happens by faith, and growth happens as we deepen our understanding of what God has done for us in the gospel. And through that, we begin to live out into the world in the power of the Spirit. Are you with me? Church, we need to say no to just say no Christianity. We need to stop working on sin management and start working on the desires of the heart. And as we go out into the world, not simply to cultivate a life that will impress others, but to cultivate a love that will impress God. The only love that's going to impress God is His love. And the only way we can experience that love is today is to look at our life and be honest and say, Father, I need to know the love of Christ. I need to know that in my marriage. I need to know that with my kids. I need to know that at work. I need to know that when it comes to the life that I want and thought I should deserve. Father, I need to lay down the desires of the flesh and I want to be rooted and grounded in Christ. And this week, not to simply have more willpower, but more of God's power. Because there's only one thing, church, in the Bible called the power of God. There's only one thing that's described as the power of God, and it's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And you may not be sa- need to be saved today unto heaven, but you may need to be saved out of the sin that you're struggling with. And Jesus isn't our Savior just for the future. He's our Savior for today. You know, if you're standing on the surface of the sun, I understand it's 9,900 degrees Fahrenheit. The center of the sun is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. A tsunami can rise, as I understand, up to 100 feet and travel 80 miles an hour. A volcano can erupt and be heard 3,000 miles away, sending debris into the air over 17 miles. They realized there was recently discovered a comet that was traveling through space at 1.5 million miles an hour. Listen, none of those things are called the power of God. None of those things come close to the power of God in the gospel which means as we trust more and more what God has done, we allow the power of God to change us, 
and we allow His power to work through us. Do you see? Change doesn't happen simply by trying harder. Church, change happens as we worship more. And this Christmas, let's worship what God has done. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that the message that you've given us, and, and certainly the story of Christ coming into the world, was Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus, you became flesh. You took on our brokenness. You experienced life as a man. You knew what it was to be rejected. Uh, you knew what it was to be cast out by someone who was to be your brother, someone who was close to you, who shared life with you and bread with you. And yet you were rejected by those who should know you the best. Jesus, you know what it is to be hungry. You know what it is to be naked and ashamed. You know what it is to have others look at you and judge you. And yet you were the perfect Lamb of God. There was no reason for you to be cast out of the presence of God. Yet we have every reason to be rejected by the Father. But it's through the love and the sacrifice that you've shown that we are grafted in. And Father, our life is now in Christ. And so this week, Lord, may the love and the Word of God, may the power of the Gospel guide us to produce in us the fruit that comes from you. Father, guide us, we ask this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand as we respond in worship?